We left off last week in verse 13, so I'm going to read verses 13 through 22. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shad, Shechi, and to bed we go, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Could this possibly be true? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, bom, 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 just like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Star Wars, all the big screen epics. Nebuchadnezzar knew how to put on a show. And you fall down and worship the image which I've made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shad, Shechi, and to bed we go. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. We know this is one of the most famous stories of the Bible, one that many of, of us have cherished for many years. And we ask you now just to speak to our hearts as we study this passage together. Lord, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to feed us, lead us, guide us, and teach us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we left off in verse 13 last week where Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. This is not the condition you want to find the king in when you are summoned before him. Already in our studies in Daniel, we've seen that Nebuchadnezzar was a man of violent passions, that he was easily excited, and yet at the same time, he seemed to be very sensitive to spiritual matters and somewhat teachable regarding spiritual truth. Back in chapter 2, verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods. After Daniel had told him his dream and interpreted it for him, he says, Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. So we see some openness there on his part. And that's going to be enhanced as we move through this chapter today and next week. So, he was in rage and fury, so they brought these men before the king. Now, remember, the order was anybody that doesn't bow is to be immediately executed. And yet, because they were held in such high esteem by the king and because they were the associates of Daniel, 
Rather than order them immediately executed, Nebuchadnezzar gives the opportunity for them to defend themselves against the charges of their accusers and to exhibit repentance and contrition if necessary. Here was the accusation that we saw last week in verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These are the, the sat traps and all the other officials that came and brought this complaint. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. But we know, right? They knew, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew, that God is really the one in control here. And so God sets the stage for a dramatic witness and testimony by these three godly men. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? He's giving them a chance to change their mind, to change their tune. On the one hand, he's probably in shock that anyone would dare to defy him, and at the same time, desperate to save face in front of all the officials who have witnessed this act of defiance. Add into the mix the fact that he genuinely values these three men as administrators in his kingdom, He's kind of in a real pickle here. Again, as we talked about last week, it's one of those situations where the word of the king is irrevocable, but sometimes they can get themselves in trouble by making edicts that maybe weren't too wise. There's two parts to this accusation, by the way. First of all, is it true that you do not serve my gods? The first part is whether or not they participate in the worship of the many gods embraced by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian population. And because it was made up of many different people groups, many different ethnicities over the empire, many gods were represented. And yet the one true God was not well represented except by the captives that came from Judah, Daniel and his friends kind of reminds me of the state we're in in America today. You realize, of course, don't you, that in America today there are many gods, many false gods, but the one true God is blasted on a daily basis. The second part, or worship the gold image. One, is it true you don't serve my gods? Two, or worship the gold image that I've set up. The second charge has to do specifically with their refusal to bow down before the golden image. And again, as we were reminded, refusal to do so is punishable by death. Daniel 3.6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. I couldn't help but notice Nebuchadnezzar's rage and fury. And we've seen a lot of that lately, haven't we? Rage and fury. Not over the fact that people are not honoring God and worshiping God as they should be, but rage and fury over things like overturning Roe versus Wade. Rage and fury over people trying to take a stand for that which is righteous and holy. How many of you have seen the pictures and the videos of people just screaming, weeping, and wailing? By the way, in the Bible, who are the people that are weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth? 
the people who are in hell. And these people who can't stand God or God's people who can't stand the idea that God is pro-life, who can't stand the idea that God's people are pro-life, they weep and wail and scream and gnash their teeth. It's a dead giveaway, folks. Nebuchadnezzar was raging with rage and fury over the fact that these three godly men wouldn't bow down to his statue. Think about it. People are weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth and screaming and uh, threatening the lives of members of the Supreme Court. And our own government is supporting those people. Do you know that? People in the progressive part of our country today, the liberals, the Democrats, when all this was going on, they didn't speak out against it. They made no effort to stop it. They supported it. And they want all of us to bow down at the image of abortion, transgenderism, LGBTQ, and all of that. They want us bowing down at that idol. And when we don't, they call us domestic terrorists. We're living just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And who knows what our fiery furnace will be and how soon it will come. So we need to really follow the example of these three men. Verse 15. Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made. Good. It's all good then. It's all good as long as you do exactly what I tell you to do. I'll tell you another altar that we're required to bow down to today. The altar of Dr. Fauci and all the pandemic vaccine fanatics. If you don't bow down and worship their image, then again, you're a bad person. Oh no, he's doing politics again. I'm sorry, folks. You can try it all day long. You cannot separate one part of your life from another. It's all integrated. It's all part of who we are, where we live, and what we stand for and what we believe. And you can't separate them. Because if they can get you to bow down at the altar of abortion, if they can get you to bow down at the altar of transgenderism, which all those things are abominable to God, do you know that? If they can get you to bow down at the altar of masks and vaccines and shutdowns, then what's next? They want to get you ultimately to turn from God and bow down to them. Just like Nebuchadnezzar wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down before him and his idol. Every week I tell myself, let's just keep it on the down low today. But myself doesn't listen to myself. <laughs> but listen to this, just some examples. I don't know if you knew about this. Back in uh, 2015, the Hindu goddess Kali, Kali, the goddess of destruction and death, was displayed for days on the Empire State Building in New York City. Any of you remember that? August 2015. And then in September of 2016, a replica of the archway leading to a temple of Baal. Remember that replica of the archway to the temple of Baal was erected in a park outside of New York City Hall in September of 2016. And then a statue of the goddess Athena Parthenos 
known as the Virgin Goddess, sculpted from 1982 to 1990 and covered in pure gold in 2002, now stands in a replica of the Parthenon of Athens in Nashville, Tennessee. And then Saraswati, goddess of wisdom and learning, was erected on Embassy Row, Massachusetts Avenue in Washington, D.C., to bless our nation's capital. And yet, no references to God or Jesus are allowed, are they? No Ten Commandments today in our courtrooms. They were removed from the public schools, the courtrooms. People are constantly fighting. Anytime some community tries to put up a, a community nativity at the time of Christmas, they're fought, they're torn down. Remember uh, years back in Las Cruces when they were forced to take the crosses off of their city emblem? And yet you can have every other kind of false god erected. No problem. And yet those statues and monuments that actually represent something good like the ones of our founding fathers they're being torn down desecrated done away with hidden somewhere in a warehouse like the one in Indiana Jones remember the warehouse where they had all those secret artifacts stored again it's not the same as worshiping our God but yet Mount Rushmore is a great monument to four great presidents and they're trying now to get that de demolished. You know that, right? That's their latest move. Anything that represents goodness, holiness, righteousness, purity is to be destroyed. But God did kind of a <laughs> pull a fast one on them here recently when some anonymous person blew up the Georgia Guidestones. <laughs> and so, interestingly enough, the authorities there immediately tore down the whole thing. They blew up part of it. Oh, well, it's no good now. It's partially damaged. Let's just tear it down. And you know what? Have you haven't heard anything else in the news about that, have you? That came and went. Lickety split. I haven't heard anything about an investigation into who did it or anything. Maybe some of the government officials did it for all we know. But there you have it. The rise of idolatry in America. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar is basically telling these guys, I'm giving you one more chance, but don't try my patience. As much as I like you guys, you will receive no preferential treatment. No one defies my authority. And again, we could point out the fact that there have been a number of high-profile FBI raids on people who had done nothing wrong, raided in the middle of the night, woken from sleep, in their pajamas, nightwear, with FBI agents with high-powered rifles, which nobody else is supposed to have. But only if you're on one side of the fence. All the people still sitting in jail because of January 6th. I shouldn't say this publicly, but I will because I'm stupid. I was there. I could have been arrested. I could, I could be arrested. I could be in jail right now. All I did was walk onto the plaza in support of fair, honest voting, in support of my president. People just like me are rotting in jail right now with no bail, 
no opportunity to defend themselves. Folks, what we're living under right now is no different than what they were living under with Nebuchadnezzar. Do you realize that? If you're out free walking the streets, praise God for it because at any time, at any moment, for any reason, they could come and get you. That's not the America that our founding fathers dreamed of. That's not the America that our founding fathers created. But that's where we are now and it's perfectly alright because God is in control just like he is here with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. At the same time I think it's important that we are aware of and acknowledge the state of our union. Where we're at right now. Don't be blinded. Don't keep your eyes closed. Don't bury your head in the sand. Be aware of what's going on. It'll definitely improve your prayer life. So in no uncertain terms, Nebuchadnezzar makes it clear that any further disobedience will result in immediate execution. And then he really, he pokes him in the eye here. Who is the God, little g, because all their gods were little g's, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? In other words, I'm more powerful than any God, Nebuchadnezzar thinks. Do you get that impression from some of our leaders today? Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is saying that he's more powerful than any god, including the god of the Hebrews. I think Nebuchadnezzar's in for a bit of a drubbing, don't you? Back in 2 Kings 18.35, Sennacherib, whom I like to call snack on a rib, and Pharaoh in Exodus 5.2 both use the same phrase, discounting the power of God to deliver his people, and they too were very wrong. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 13, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this. We have no need to defend ourselves in this matter. In other words, we answer to God. It's to him we are accountable, and he is our defender. And according to Jesus and Paul, these three had it right. Matthew 10, 19, Jesus says, When they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. That certainly was true of these three men. And it will be true for you and I if we find ourselves in that situation. The Holy Spirit will give us the right words to speak or he'll tell us not to speak at all. Remember Jesus did not open his mouth against his accusers. He stood silent before them. He did not need to defend himself. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Nebuchadnezzar has the power to kill these three men right here and now. Jesus says, Don't be afraid of that, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one, with a big O, God. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And finally, Acts 20 Verse 22 through 24, Paul says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit. He felt compelled to go to Jerusalem, even having been warned against doing so. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So even though there were prophecies given to Paul that he would be chained, he would be arrested, the Holy Spirit still told him to go anyway. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. And he's speaking here of his physical life. 
so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul said, neither hell nor high water will stop me from going where God wants me to go and doing what God wants me to do, even if I know danger awaits me. And that's the same thing that's true here for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew they were in danger, but nothing would stop them from obeying God. Okay, verse 17. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. If that's the case, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, it's your call, O king. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you? Kind of like Dirty Harry? Go ahead, make our day. They wouldn't, of course, call the king punk. But go ahead, make our day. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Notice that these three are absolutely confident in God's ability to deliver them. Nebuchadnezzar is no match for Jehovah God. Then they go on, verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you set up. They know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, know that God is able to deliver them. He is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible with God. But they do not know if it is His will to deliver them. Well, that's an important distinction. I think sometimes people get the two mixed up. Nothing is impossible for God, but we do not always, in our finite human reasoning, understand or know perhaps what His will is. And that, that requires that we be absolutely confident in him and dependent upon him that no matter what his will is, it's for our good. You see, deliverance or martyrdom were both equally possible in God's plan. They didn't know which one it would be. If not, but it makes no difference. This is an important thing to make note of. We should follow their example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not place any conditions on their service to God. Have you ever done that? Have I ever done that? I hope not, but think about it. Well, Lord, yeah, I'll do that if you do this. doesn't work that way. No conditions. Well, God, if you give me a raise. God, if you get me a better job. God, if you get me a new car. No. No conditions. God, if you tell that person to marry me. <laughs> and it has been said, be careful what you ask for. Okay? God, if you deliver us, we will serve you for the rest of our lives. No, that decision had already been made a long time ago. To these men, the outcome was irrelevant. You have to see that here. The outcome was irrelevant. They had already determined in their hearts and minds that they would obey God no matter what. For what was at stake was not God's ability or their lives, but their faith and obedience to serve Him regardless of the cost. I'm always reminded of Job. He went through a lot. His friends mocked him. His wife even said, Come on, Job, just curse God and die. 
Let God put you out of my misery. But Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust or praise him. Even so, I will offend my own ways before him. So Job, again, was committed and dedicated to God no matter what the outcome. And that's how it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even Jesus, the very Son of God. He's there, he's praying, he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood. He's in deep distress. And I'll tell you right now, it wasn't because of the physical suffering that he knew he would face. It was because he knew he would have to face being separated from the Father when the sins of the entire human race were placed upon him on that cross. Nothing could have been more stressful to Jesus than the thought that he could ever be separated from the Father. And yet your sin and my sin did that to him on the cross. Not permanently, but long enough for him to feel that pain and that shame. So he's there in the garden praying. Peter, James, and John go along. They fall asleep, remember? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In fact, they fell asleep twice. It's always good to have prayer partners in a time of need, right? So then Jesus went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So even Jesus, when facing that kind of stress and anxiety, said, Father, um, we're at the... You know, it's 11.59. Is there another option here? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a similar situation. They knew what they were facing. Quite possibly total extermination, but they did not waver. He will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to you. We're not going to bow down to your idol. So verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Blah! Just like the abortion fanatics. Just like the people who had conniptions when Donald Trump got elected. Did you see any of that stuff? Did you ever act like that when Bill Clinton got elected? Did you ever act like that when Obama got elected? No, we were disappointed. But when you have the Spirit of God in you, you don't act like that. It's, again, it's a dead giveaway. Full of fury. He was furious. He was not used to defiance. And that's how people act when they don't get their way. Unless you're yielded and submitted to God and you know that whatever happens, he's in control. And then the expression on his face changed. The King James Version said his visage was changed. So until now, Nebuchadnezzar had exhibited grace, mercy, patience. Come on, guys. You really not worship my gods? Did you really not bow down to the image? Well, guess what? I'm gonna get, this is your lucky day. I'm going to give you another chance. Kind of like those game shows. Well, no, you missed that one, but here, let's try this one. What's behind door number two? The expression on his face changed. You can just see it contorting with anger, 
fury, violence. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar orders them to make it as hot as humanly possible. But it's kind of funny when you think about it. The hotter the fire, the sooner their pain would be over. So he thinks he's doing something big and bad, but really, if anything, it would actually be to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's benefit. In fact, we'll see here, he commanded certain men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. So these guys were like his elite guard, his personal bodyguards. And this whole thing is kind of silly. There's no indication whatsoever that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would make any effort to escape. So this is just more of Nebuchadnezzar's power trip. Just like I mentioned with some of these FBI raids and things that are going on. People who would have gladly participated, cooperated, turned themselves in, being swatted in the middle of the night. And if he commanded them to, to jump in, they would have jumped in all on their own. So then, these men were bound in their coats, trousers, turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So this is strange, too, because criminals were normally stripped before execution. The fact that all the clothing of the Jewish men were not removed implies that the king's command was carried out with great haste. Not to mention that the burning garments would only make things worse for them, I think. Make them like human torches. So no removal of clothing like in a normal execution. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, as I said, that's the indication there. Done in haste. Has to be done immediately. Got to save face. Can't let everybody thinking he's weak, indecisive. He went the extra mile by giving them another chance to repent. They didn't do it. The king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, he told him to heat it seven times hotter, thinking that made him big and bad. But it resulted in the consumption of his own men. Just in the process, have you ever get close to a fire and you feel that heat, you know? You ever get too close? I'll never forget when my son Taylor was about three years old. We were camping up in Wyoming. He might have... I forget if he was, what he was wearing. It seems like he was just wearing a diaper or something. It was like two and a half. And we had a campfire, and he, he backed up to it, and for some reason he got too close, and it set his diaper on fire and burned his little leg. Can you imagine a fire is so hot that just in the process of pushing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they were completely consumed by the heat of that fire. So you might say that backfired on Nebuchadnezzar. So the price of Nebuchadnezzar's rage, and this is what happens, folks, when we give way to rage, anger, fury, like Nebuchadnezzar did. The price that he paid was the loss of his mighty men of valor, his greatest soldiers, greatest warriors, personal bodyguards. And it's really hard to imagine 
course, we know what happens, but we'll get to that part next week. It's hard to imagine that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not suffer the same instantaneous fate, right? But like they told Nebuchadnezzar, our God will deliver us from you. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the incredible example and role models that we find in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their fearlessness, their absolute confidence in you, Lord, that enabled them to remain totally, 100%, absolutely obedient to you. And Lord, our desire is that we would be like that too. And we pray for your help, Lord. We have something that even they didn't have. We have the opportunity for the personal indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to give us confidence, to give us boldness, to give us strength, to give us wisdom and guidance. Lord, help us to make the most of that. Lord, your word tells us you love to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Father, let not one day go by that we do not ask you for the infilling of your Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to live the godly lives in Christ Jesus that you've called us to. Lord, please give us the confidence, the boldness, the strength of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for your word, which encourages us, comforts us, strengthens us for the wonderful stories. They're not mythology. They're not fairy tales. They are true stories of what great men and women have, of God have accomplished, handing off to us an incredible legacy of faith. Thank you, God. And now I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Anyone requiring prayer this morning, prayer request, raise your hands, please. Father God, you see every hand. You know what those hands represent. For some, Lord, it is health, some health issue. Lord, again, we talked about the fact that with you nothing is impossible. God, with you all things are possible. Any terminal disease can be conquered by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, any minor affliction can be conquered by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we lift them all up to you now. Lord, whether it be cancer, heart disease, lung disease, leukemia, kidney failure, liver failure, Lord, if nothing is too difficult for you, and we pray for each and every one who is struggling with some type of a health issue that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, heal them, strengthen them, encourage them, and Lord, help them to have that same heart attitude of Job, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that no matter what, we will stand firm in our commitment and our faith. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Father, we know that your abilities are unlimited, but Lord, we do not always know your perfect will. Help us to knowingly, lovingly, gladly yield ourselves over to your perfect will. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So we pray for physical healing. We pray for mental and emotional healing. Lord, we know that so many people are under duress, anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, unbelief, unforgiveness. Lord, we know how debilitating these things are, and we pray for your hand of deliverance to be upon each one. Lord, you said you came to set the captives free. You came to heal the brokenhearted, and that's what we ask for today, Father, your healing. Upon the brokenhearted, those who are filled with bitterness and so forth, Lord, whether unforgiveness, deliver us, forgive us, set us free. Lord, your word says, he whom the Son sets free 
is free indeed. Pour out your freedom upon your people today, we ask in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for financial help where it's needed. We pray that you'd help us to be good stewards over the resources you've given us to honor you with the first fruits of all of our income. Honor you first and foremost, and we ask you to take care of us, to provide for us, whether it's a need for a job, a better job, whatever it might be, Lord. Lord, you're our provider, and we know that you have infinite ways of providing for us. We trust you, we thank you, we praise you for that provision. Finally, we pray for healing of marriages, broken relationships. Lord, we know that the enemy's one of his prime targets is Christian families especially, all families, but Christian families in particular. We pray for your hand of protection, for a resolute heart attitude of men and women to be committed in their marriages no matter what. Lord, we know that love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. Help those who are struggling to recommit and strengthen these marriages, Father. Guard and protect them against the attack of the enemy. Strengthen these families. We know that many of the, the things that are happening in our world today are a result of broken homes, broken families, single-parent families. We ask for healing and restoration and also for friendships, workplace relationships, neighborhood relationships, school relationships, whatever arena of life it's in, we pray for healing and restoration of broken relationships, Father, in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your faithfulness. We look forward to the answer to these prayers. And we ask now you to receive our offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.